Hello and welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. It's amazing how a lot of times the New Testament is a magnifying glass that helps us see the Old Testament better. This morning's message, we're going to look at the life of Noah and we're going to use the New Testament as kind of a magnifying glass in Noah's life. The title of the message this morning is Saving My Family. Please enjoy. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7 this morning. I'm give you all just another second to get there. Hebrews chapter 11 this morning and verse number 7. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand in respect and reverence to the word of God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 7. The Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Let's read that verse one more time. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. Let's pray. Dear gracious heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd teach us the word of God this morning. Dear Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit would fill our minds and our hearts. And Lord, I pray that we would give full attention to the word of God. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us today. Be with this message Meet with us here in this place today. For as it's in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. When the Bible says in Hebrews eleven seven, it says Noah was warned of God. That word warned, it, it is used many times in the New, New Testament to refer to business. It says warned as in a business sense. And really, that's appropriate in this instance, because let let me tell you this morning, when it comes to the judgment of God, God means business. When it comes to the judgment of God, God means business this morning. And um, uh, when the the Bible, I want want you to come with your mind back to Genesis when the Bible says in the day of Noah that the wickedness of man was great, I'm here to tell you today the wickedness in Noah's time was pretty wicked. There was a lot of sin going on. The Bible says there was a lot of, lot of wickedness going on. But I want to tell you this morning that the fact that a lot of wickedness was going on in Noah's day is only half the story. That's only half the story because if you read on in the verse, it says every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What that means is not only was things wicked and not only were things uh, evil and, and not only things like that, but that people were constantly thinking up new ways to sin. People were constantly thinking up new ways to do evil. People were constantly thinking up of new ways to disobey God. So let me tell you something that when Noah says that Noah, the days of Noah were, were wicked, the wickedness was great, that's only half of it. The imaginations of their heart and there just was only evil continually. They're constantly keeping up of new things to sin with. But you know, when the Bible says in Genesis 6, 8, we find another word 
that makes all the difference. That word we see that makes all the difference in Genesis 6 is the word but. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I want you to see this morning that it says that Noah found grace. It does not say that Noah bought grace. You cannot buy grace. You cannot work for grace. There's nothing you can do to get this grace. I've got to untangle this cord. It's stifling me. I've got to be able to move around. All right. It does say that you can't, you, you, you can't, it says he found grace. You can't buy grace. You can't work for grace. There is not one person on this earth that has enough money to buy one minute in heaven. There's not enough, there's not enough money on the planet. You cannot buy one minute in heaven. Why? Because Noah found grace. God came to Noah and said, Noah, it's time to build a boat. Noah, it's time to build an ark. I want you to get together and I want you to start building the ark. And the Bible says for 120 years, Noah, Noah worked on that boat. Now, it was probably, he probably wasn't constantly in construction that whole 120 years. But let me tell you, it was 120 years of preparation. It was 120 years of prayer. It was 120 years of preaching. It was 120 years of gathering materials. It was 120 years of effort and time and preparation he put into that boat. Noah, uh, God said to Noah, Noah, I want you to build a boat. Noah, I want you to build an ark. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet. I want you to understand this morning that people in Noah's day, they did not know what rain was. They did not know. They said water falling from the sky. Um, you know, they'd never seen that before. They didn't understand the concept of that. You see, back in Noah's day, the waters got, got watered by a mist coming up from the earth. Okay? So they didn't understand, uh, they didn't understand this thing of water falling from the sky. It's also a very good possibility that while today most of the earth's surface is water, it's a very good possibility that in Noah's day, most of the earth's surface was land. It's a very good possibility that there was more land on the surface of the earth than water. So Noah's out here building a boat. Maybe he was hundreds, if not thousands of miles from, away from, from water to put it in. And the boat was so big, there was no way he was going to be able to move it. These guys probably looked at Noah and thought he was a quackadoodle. Okay? It's like, man, this, this guy has is, is lost his ever-loving mind. This guy is crazy. You know, this is why, though, this is why Hebrews 11 is so important. It's why it's so important. Let me tell you something. Commentaries have their place. They have their place. I use commentaries when I study for a message. I do. Commentaries have their place. But you know what? You, you know what the greatest commentary on the Old Testament is? The Bible itself. The Bible itself is the greatest commentary on itself. It's the word of God. There are stunning things in Hebrews 11. There are stunning things in Hebrews 11 
that uh, if, if it wasn't there, we, we wouldn't know. We, if it wasn't in Hebrews 11, there are things about the Old Testament we wouldn't know. We only know that from Hebrews 11. Take, for instance, Abraham and Isaac. Genesis 22, when how Abraham and Isaac went on Mount Moriah, he said, I'm coming, uh, we're going up and we're coming down uh, to Isaac. There, were, there was never any doubt of that. But we see in Hebrews 11, if it wasn't for Hebrews 11, we, we wouldn't know the secret. You see, it's not like Abraham could have read Genesis 22 and knew how it was going to turn out. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 that he went up there full knowing that he was going to plunge that knife into his son. But then we learned that Abraham thought that Isaac was going to raise from the dead. He thought, I'm going to kill my son, but then God's going to turn around and raise him up from the dead. We know that Abraham thought that because of Hebrews chapter 11. Now, listen, there is something else you find in Hebrews 11 that you're not going to find in Genesis 6. There's something else in Hebrews 11 that you're not going to find in Genesis 7. And what you're going to find in Hebrews 11 is you're going to find Noah's motivation for building the ark. You're going to find Noah's motivation for building the ark. If you go to the average person and ask them, what did Noah do? You know what they'd say? They'd say, Noah built the ark. If you went, uh, 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 in, fact, in fact, they even made a Hollywood movie about it. Of course, they got it wrong. Hollywood, Hollywood usually gets things wrong. Ooh, and they were off the mark with that one. They was, whoo, talk about quackadoodle. And uh, so, you know, they made a movie about it, but, you know, it was wrong. But they still made a movie about it. If you ask the average churchgoer, what did Noah do? They'd say Noah built an ark. If you went to downtown Baton Rouge or downtown New Orleans and you stopped someone going down the street, and if they knew who Noah was, and you asked them what did Noah do, what they would tell you is that Noah built an ark. But if me and you could go back in time, if, me and, if Noah was here today and, and we asked him that same question, he would not answer like that. Are you saying that Noah didn't build a boat? Oh, yeah, yeah. Noah built a boat, but he didn't do it to get famous, and he didn't do it to be popular, and he didn't do it to have a movie, a movie made about him. If we were to go back in time and, and, and we were to ask Noah, Noah, what are you doing? Why are you building this boat? What would he say? Well, because of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, we don't have to wonder that anymore. Because of Hebrews 11, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 7, we know Noah's motivation on why he did what he did. Let's read, let's read it again. By faith, Noah being warned, of, and, and you know, I would say that I'm glad this verse is in the Bible or else we wouldn't know this. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Here it is, here it is, pay attention. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. To the saving of his house. Let's go back in time and talk to Noah. Noah, what are you doing? What are you doing, Noah, with all this wood? You going to build a boat? No, 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 no. I'm not going to build a boat. Noah, you trying to get famous? No, I'm not trying to get famous. Noah, you trying to get a movie made about you? No, I'm not trying to get a movie made about me. Noah, what are you doing then? I'm saving my family. 
Oh, Noah. Okay. How do you do that, Noah? How do you save your family? We live in a day and time that stands against the Christian home. We live in a day and time that stands against Christian marriage. This world takes a 180 degree turn against a Christian home. So if we were to go to Noah and say, Noah, how do you save your family? Chapter, uh, verse number seven tells us how Noah would save his family. And Noah was a good preacher because he put it out on the outline. Bam, 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 bam. Just read the verses, the outline's there. He said, you know, uh, uh, maybe, maybe there's a dad in here today. Maybe there was a husband in here today. You want to save your family. Maybe there's a mom in here today. Maybe there's a wife in here today. And what you want to do is you want to save your family. Maybe there's a granddad in here today. And granddad, you want to save your family. Maybe there's a grandmom in here today, and grandmom, you want to save your family. How do we do it, Noah? How do we save our family? Got five things this morning. We're going to go through this verse. What did Noah say? Noah, how, you want to save your family? How are you going to do it, Noah? How are you going to save your family? Let's look at, verse, let's look at the first thing. It says, by faith, Noah. By faith, Noah. You know, this is not the only time in Hebrews 11 where this term by faith was used. All of the men and women in this verse, they all lived by faith. But what exactly does that mean? What exactly does it mean to live by faith? Faith is one of those words, you know it when you see it, but sometimes it's hard to define. Sometimes it's hard to put your finger on exactly what does that mean? Well, you know what? Let me tell you some things that faith ain't. Faith ain't your religion. I'm saying, no, I'm saying ain't. Some English, English teachers are going, oh, he's using ain't. But you know what? Faith ain't, faith ain't your religion. Faith ain't your religion. Oh, I've got the Baptist faith. And oh, I've got the Catholic faith. And oh, I've got the Jewish faith. No, no, no. That's not what faith is. No, another thing faith ain't. Faith ain't some mystical, magical experience you had where the room spun and you saw light from heaven and Gabriel, Gabriel came and gave you a, a, a casserole recipe. That's not what faith is. It's not some mystical, magical experience that you've had. That's not what faith is today. In fact, you don't have to look very far. Verse 1 of this chapter tells us what faith is. Let's look at verse number 1. Let's read it. It says, now faith is the substance. Stop. Let's stop there. Faith is the substance. What is a substance? A substance is something I can feel in my hand. A substance is something I can hold. A substance is something that I can see. Okay, so what is faith? Faith is something that I can touch. Faith is something that I can hold. Faith is something that I can see. Let's continue. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Stop. Okay. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So you mean to tell me there's something that I can hold in my hand. There's something that I can see that can tell me about what I'm hoping for. That's what the verse is saying. 
Now, now uh, hope in the Bible means something different than me and you know hope to be. Me and you think, hear the word hope and we think, oh, well, it might happen someday. I'm not going to see it, but it, it might happen. You know what hope is for me and you? Hope for me and you, it means today, it means pie in the sky. It means fantasy. Oh, it, it, may, it may happen, it may not happen, but I hope it does. Hope is pie in the sky to us. Hope is fantasy, but that's not what hope is in the Bible. Let me tell you something what hope is in the Bible. Hope in the Bible is fact. Hope in the Bible is steadfast. Hope in the Bible is sure. Hey, you know what? The Bible says he's coming again. It's not a fantasy. It's not a pipe dream. It's a reality. That's what hope is. So hope isn't some pipe dream, pie in the sky fantasy. Hope is sure. Hope is steadfast. Hope is a reality. So you're telling me the sub so I can hold, there's something I can hold, that I can see, I can put in my hand. It will tell me about the things that I've hoped for. Let's continue. The evidence, stop again, stop again. So if you were to walk into a courtroom and the judge asked to see your evidence and you said to the judge, oh, judge, you know what? I've just got a feeling. I've got a feeling about this, judge. Let me tell you something. I, you know, I ate a large pepperoni pizza last night and then I went to bed and had a dream. Let me tell you about my dream. I had some mystical, magical experience. I had an experience. I've got a feeling. Is that, a, is that what it is? No, no. You know what he's going to do? He's going to throw you out of his courtroom. Why? Because you don't have any evidence. So you mean to tell me there is a substance that I can touch and hold that can tell me about the things I'm hoping for and it is the evidence of these things. In case you haven't figured it out yet, faith means that I have confidence in my Bible. Amen. Faith means I have confidence in this book. I can hold this book. I can look at this book. It tells me what I've hoped for. It's the evidence of those things. That book right there. That's where my faith comes from. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This is where my faith starts here. This is the substance that I hold. This is the substance that I can see. It tells me what I hope for. It is the evidence of those things. I don't need a priest to tell me. I don't need a rabbi to tell me. I don't need a reverend to tell me. I've got the word of God. I can read it for myself. Reverend. You know what? Some people, sometimes people call me reverend and I smile. But you know what? There was only one reverend. And that was Jesus. He's the only reverend. So I don't need a rabbi. I don't need a reverend. I don't need a priest. I've got the word of God. I can look at it for myself. Noah said, if God says it, I'm going to believe it. That's how Noah saves his family. You know, we need parents today that are going to read their Bible to their kids. We need parents today that are going to teach the Bible to their kids. We need parents today that are going to hide the Bible in their kids' hearts. Noah, what are you doing, Noah? 
You building a boat? No, 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 no. I'm not building a boat. Don't let anybody tell you that. I'm not building a boat. Well, what are you doing then, Noah? I'm saving my family. Noah, how do you save your family? Well, number one, you believe your Bible. Believe your Bible. Let's look at number two. By faith, Noah. Hold on a second. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. Moved with fear. You know, Noah was talking about some pretty scary things. I mean, when you're talking about, the, about water falling from the heavens and you talk about fountains of the deep being broken up, that's some scary stuff. You know, one thing I want to do, I haven't done it yet. You know what I want to do? I want to go see the ark. Who in here, have you, who in here has seen the ark? Somebody seen the ark? Man, we all need to go. I want to I wanna, I wanna see the ark. I want to go up there. There you go. Hey, they gave us a van for a reason. And uh, so um, uh, I want to go see the ark, and I want to the, the, see the Creation Museum, and I have a preacher friend that talks about his experience going to the ark. And you know what he, he said? He said, you know what? I always hate it when truth gets in the way of a good sermon illustration. You know, and what he meant by that is all we've all we've heard all these preachers preach all these years about how as the rains came down, the water came up, people were beating on the art door and they were scratching and clawing on the art door. And we've all heard that illustration. I've used that illustration before and they were holding the babies up and they were scratching and Noah let us in, let us in and they're scratching on the art door. But at the Christian Museum, they were saying that when the when the fountains of the deep broke up. What probably happened is it took just a few moments for a big tidal wave to cover the surface of the earth. So there really wasn't enough time to go out and scratch and claw on the door. It was just a few moments and the land was covered, you know. And so there's a good, good sermon illustration we can't use anymore. Man, who needs scientists anyway, you know. Just a good sermon illustration, can't use it anymore. But, you know, Noah... The, the, wind, the waves were big and the wind was furious and the storm was big. But, you know, when the Bible says that Noah was moved with fear, he wasn't afraid of the wind. The Bible says that Noah was moved with fear. He wasn't afraid of the water. The Bible says that Noah was moved with fear. He wasn't afraid of the storm. And you know what Noah feared? Noah feared God. Noah feared God. Okay. So what does that mean? What does that mean when you fear God? Well, let's see if we can look for some, the, some, some deep theological reason for, um, uh, for fearing God. What does the fear of God mean? What is the, a deep theological meaning of the fear of God? All right. Any good preacher that graduates from a Bible college or a seminary, the first book they buy as a book called The Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. I think I may even may have seen one this morning. And uh, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. You didn't know I'm going to mention that today. And, uh, you know, the first thing you, you buy is you buy a Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. And it's yay big, and it's yay wide, and it's yay thick. And do you know why preachers buy it? So they can put it on their shelves and look smart. That's a little secret. Some little inside info I'm giving you here, okay? I'm pulling the curtain back a little bit. 
The second book you buy, the second book you buy is a good Bible, good Bible theological dictionary. And it's about that thick. And the font size is 1.2. You have to use the Hubble Space Telescope to read it. Okay? But if you were to get your big, deep, thick theological Bible dictionary out and you look through it and you look and you wanted to define the fear of God and you look at it and you find the page and you find the, interest, uh, the, the entry and you get the time on the Hubble Space Telescope and you can read it, the definition in the book is this. Here it is. Listen to it. The fear of the Lord is an awesome respect for God. Now, that's a good, that's a good definition, but you know, I, I really could have told you that. You know, that's, that's, something I wasn't, that's something I could have told you, and I definitely didn't write the Bible dictionary. But that is something, to, something I could have come up with on my own. Uh, however, 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 there is a good book out there that defines the fear of God really well. And you know, I'm, I'm going to suggest you to buy this book and get it because it, it defines the fear of God really well and it's called The Bible. Amen. Who would have ever thought to look there? Man, who'd ever thought to look in the Bible for the definition of the fear of God? Man, that's something crazy. Why, why would we do that? You look in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And you scream at Solomon and you say, okay, you're telling us to fear God. What does the fear of God mean? Well, if we just read the next verse, if you read the next verse in Ecclesiastes 12, it says, listen to this, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. There's a fear of God right there. That's what the fear of God means. The fear of God means when I wake up in the morning and the thought is on my mind and heart that God is watching me today, that is the fear of God. When I know that it doesn't matter who I'm around, it doesn't matter who sees me, it doesn't matter where I go, every action, every word, every thought is seen by the, by the Lord that is the fear of God. That's what that means. It means I can't go anywhere without knowing that God is seeing what I'm doing. We go and we sin and we don't think twice about God seeing us do it, then you don't have the fear of God. But if you go to sin and you think in your head, ooh, if I no one's around me, no one sees me. But if I do this, God's going to see me. Then you fear the Lord. That is what the fear of God is. What are you doing, Noah? You building a boat? No, 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 no. I'm not building a boat. I'm saving my family. How are you doing that, Noah? Well, first you believe your Bible. Believe your Bible. The next thing you do is you fear God. The one you fear the most is the one who wins. If you fear God the most, then he wins. What do you fear the most? If you fear your job the most, your job wins. Who do you, what do you fear? You got to fear God. 
The, the verse continues. By faith, Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. What's number three? Number three is this. You pay whatever it costs. You pay whatever it costs. You know, if I had a pen up here and I had a calculator and I tried to figure up how much, how much uh, it cost Noah to build the ark and I carried the one and I canceled out the zero and I multiplied and I added it all up and I circled a figure, I could come up with how much it cost Noah to build the ark and the figure that I come up with is it cost Noah everything. It cost him everything. You know, at the end of Noah building the ark, you know, it, this is probably when he started filling out the credit card applications, buying stuff on credit. He'd go buy something and say, no, you just pay me next month for that. And Noah's like, okay, I'll pay you next month. Will do. I'll, I'll, I'll be right back with that payment. You know, I was probably, you know, he was filling out the credit card applications near the end, getting this stuff on credit. Okay, okay, okay. There was a priest, a rabbi, and a Baptist preacher. They went into a man. A man was dying, and uh, he was on his deathbed. And he said to the three men, he said, you know what? I don't trust my kids, but I want to take my money with me. And so he gave each the priest, the rabbi, and a Baptist preacher a brown paper sack with $25,000 in it. He said, what I want you to do is when I die, I want you to come, and I want you to put this in my coffin because I want to take this money with me. The man died, and the three men, the priest, the rabbi, and the Baptist preacher came to the funeral, and they each put a brown paper sack into the coffin. They buried the man. A few weeks later, these, these, three, these three men met to talk about what had happened. And the rabbi said, guys, i got to tell you something. When I put that bag in the coffin, it only had $15,000 in it. I kept $10,000 for myself. Catholic priest, he, he bowed his head and said, guys, I got, a, I got a confession to make too. I kept some of that money out for myself. The Baptist preacher looked at the other two and they, he was so appalled. And he looked at those guys and said, I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in you guys. Let me tell you, when I put that brown paper sack in that coffin, it had $25,000 in the form of a personal check in it. <laughs> so, but you know what? Let me tell you something. To build the ark, it cost Noah an incredible amount of money. To build the ark, it cost Noah an incredible amount of time. To build the ark, it cost Noah an incredible amount of energy to build that ark. It literally took everything he had. You know, Noah couldn't go on that hunting trip because his boys had youth camp. Noah and his wife couldn't go on that date because they had a youth activity down at the local church. And he was putting everything he had, investing everything he had, every, every spare dime, every spare moment, all the spare energy he had, he was investing into his boys. The Bible says in Genesis 7, and Japheth, and Ham, and Sham, there's that polysynthetine again. God wants us to pay attention. He's telling us that these three boys were on that ark of their own accord. Noah didn't force them on there. 
And I can guarantee you that when Noah was on that ark and he looked around that ark and he saw his boys there, not because he forced them to be there, and he saw their families there, not because he forced them to be there, but he saw those boys on that ark because they were there of their own free will. He was glad he invested in them. Glad my children come to church when they grow up, not because I force them to be, because they feel an obligation, but because I invested in them. I invested my time. I invested my money. I invested my energy in them. What are you investing in? Are you investing in a job? Or are you investing in your family? Man. Noah, you building the boat? No, I'm not building the boat. You're trying to get famous, Noah? No, I'm not trying to get famous. I'm not trying to have a movie made about me either. Man, what you doing then? I'm saving my family. How do you do that, Noah? Well, number one, you believe your Bible. Number two, you fear the Lord. And number three, no matter what the price tag is, you pay whatever it costs. You pay whatever it costs. Let's look back at the verse. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, not as things yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world. You want to save your family, you got to condemn the world. You know, that word condemn there is the same word that we see there that says condemn, that same word is used other places in the, in the New Testament, and there's a different English word, uh, word that we use. And the other word that's used for this same word, condemned, is probably the strongest word in the English language. And that word is the word damnation. It's one in the same word. Noah is saying you can't save your family unless you condemn the world. Many decades ago, there was a movement that swept through America, and it was many past good pastors and many good churches when it put in a lot of effort into this movement, and some of you might even remember it, it was a movement called God Save America. Does anybody remember that? A movement swept across our churches. It says, God Save America. Well, you know what? I don't know if you've looked at the news lately. God didn't save America. He didn't. God didn't save America. Noah, if you had a choice between saving your nation or saving your kids, what would you choose? Oh, well, you know, I mean, if it means I got to condemn the world to hell to sin to save my family, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. I'll do that. You know, the invitation is going to be given. I'm going to tell everybody they can come. Everybody come. Everybody come. The invitation is going to be given out. But if nobody else comes, it doesn't matter because I'm going to save my family. Because my family is more important. Where did this thing, where, people today try to, what they've been trying to do is they've been trying to take the things of the world and marry them to the Bible. When did this start? When did this start when you try to marry the things of the world to the things of the Bible? 
Bible says in 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things in the world. John 15.19, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. James 4.4, 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You can't build a church and be a friend of God and a friend of the world. You can't do it. You also cannot build a Christian family by letting the world tell you how to do it. You can't do it. Mom and dad, let me tell you what you are. You are the gatekeepers of your home. Your, your home needs to be a sanctuary away from this world. And you need to be careful what you allow in your home. Am I telling you that you can't have a TV in your home? No. What I am telling you is you need to be careful what you allow in that box. You need to say, you know what, these TV shows aren't going to come in my house and teach my kids to cuss and teach my kid to, to, to use the Lord's name in vain. You're not going to come in my house and teach my teen it's okay to, get, to live together before you get married. You're not going to come in my home and redefine what it means to be, be a boy and redefine what it means to be a girl. You're not going to do it. You're not going to come in my home and tell me it's okay to marry a boy. It's okay to marry a girl. Just follow your heart and do, what, do whatever your heart wants to do. You're not going to do that. You're not going to come in my home and do that. Am I telling you today that you can't listen to music? No, I'm not telling you that. But I am telling you you don't need to listen to music about drinking beer. And I am telling you you don't need to listen to music about fornication and adultery. We have this, we have this, I, I am telling you that you need to listen to music that moves your heart for Christ instead of your body for lust. We have this thing that, that all, just because it's country music, it's all good. I, let me t I listen to country music. I do. But let me tell you something. Exactly. You know, a lot of country music, it, it promotes, you know, uh, country music used to be about America. It used to be about God. But a lot of country music nowadays, it promotes a worldly lifestyle. And what little Junior and little Sally need is they need a mom and dad who will hear that come on and they'll turn it off or they'll change the station because they've got a mom and dad that condemns the world. And you want to save your family, you've got to condemn this world. You've got to condemn it. You know, back in the 70s, there was some, there was some rock music. You could play it backwards and you hear Satan lives. You know what you get when you play country music backwards? Your dog back, your house back, your wife back, and your job back. You get all that back when you play country music backwards. Mom, dad, husband, wife, you want to save your family, you got to be careful what you let in your home. Something comes on, you have to say, no, that's not right. There was a day when you could turn on the Disney Channel and you could trust it, not anymore that day is long gone there was a day when you could turn on nickelodeon and the only thing you'd have to worry about is how wildy e. coyote is going to get the roadrunner today but you can't you can't trust that anymore and you're saying every single new show that comes out is trying to push agendas on us every single solitary one trying to push agendas on us 
Man, you've got to condemn the world. That's wrong. It's not right. And it's not allowed in my home. It's not allowed on my TV. It's not allowed on my radio. It's not allowed through the front door. Amen. Why? You've got to condemn the world. Noah, you're building a boat. No, no. He hollers back as loud as he can. No, I'm not trying to build a boat. I'm trying to save my family. How do you do that, Noah? Well, you believe your Bible. You fear the Lord. You pay whatever it costs. And you're going to have to condemn this world. You're going to have to condemn it. Let's look back at the verse. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Number five, you want to save your family? Become heir of the righteousness. Notice, I want you to notice here, it doesn't say become heir of righteousness. It says become heir of the righteousness. The righteousness. I want you to understand this morning that in, in, in heaven, there is a, we have a register in heaven. And in heaven on this register is all of our sins. And they number in the hundreds and the thousands and the tens of thousands and the hundreds of thousands on this register. And we can't go to heaven, number one, until all these sins are gone off our register. But you see, once the blood of Christ has cleaned all of our sins off that register, you know what? We still can't go because we got a blank register. You see, you have to have a little bit of righteousness on that register to go. It can't just be blank. But you see, the problem is, is from the beginning, we have no righteousness. And the Bible says what little righteousness we do have is as filthy rags. So let me tell you something. Even though my sins are gone, my righteousness isn't going to cut it. My righteousness is not good enough. So you know what? When somebody says, oh, I'll be good enough to go to heaven, you know all they're doing is they're making that sin counter go higher and higher and higher. So we're still in a pickle. We're still in a pickle because even though our sins are gone, we don't, we don't have any righteousness on our record. But there's a wonderful word in the Bible. There's a word in the Bible that, it, that describes what happens to a Christian when they get saved. And it's, this is the word. I love this word. It's the word impute. Impute. See, when you get saved, what happens to that register is on that register is imputed or on that register is put the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is put on there. So when God the Father looks, hey, you know what? On my register, my sins are gone and the righteousness of his son remains. And while mine and your righteousness won't get the job done, the righteousness of Christ will. You know, I want to tell you something today. Those Old Testament saints, they knew a lot more about Jesus than we thought and we think they do. They knew a lot, and I can prove that. John 8, 56 says, this is Jesus talking. He says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. When Abraham was on Mount Moriah, he was looking forward to Christ. Jesus said he was. Jesus said that himself. They knew a lot more about Christ than me and you think they did. Let me tell you, Noah's in heaven today. Noah didn't go to heaven because he built a boat. 
Noah went to heaven because his sins were gone, and in place of his sins was the righteousness of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. His righteousness of Christ was on Noah's register. And it's the same reason I go to heaven. It's the same reason you can go to heaven. I say, how can I have my sins washed away? How can I have his righteousness put on my register? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You know what it says? It said, not of works. Not of anything you can do. Not because you lived a good life. Not because you went to church. Not because you were baptized. Not because you gave money to charity. It's because of your faith. For by grace, through faith, and the not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. You want to save your family? Then you need to teach your kids how they can know the righteousness of Christ. What are you doing, Noah? What are you doing? You're building a boat? No, I'm not building a boat. Noah, you're trying to get famous? No, I'm not trying to get famous. Noah, you, uh, you want to make a movie about you? No, I'm not trying to get a movie made about me. What are you doing, Noah? I'm saving my family. How do you save your family? You believe the Bible. How do you save your family? You fear the Lord. How do you save your family? Doesn't matter what the price tag is. You pay whatever it costs. How do you save your family? You condemn the world. How do you save your family? You bring them to Calvary. What are you doing, Noah? You building a boat? No, I'm not building a boat. Don't let anybody tell you that. I'm saving my family. Do you want to save your family? I want to save mine. I'm going to save our families together. Rehab out of your eye closed. No one looking around.